Welcome to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys looking to model positive Christian leadership in our work, families, church, and communities. Want to discover ways to apply scripture effectively in everyday life? Tired of the pat answers in Sunday school? Then settle in for a gritty, authentic, and unexpectedly funny Christian podcast. And now, No Church Answers. And welcome to No Church Answers, a Christian roundtable discussion for men. This is podcast number 301, hard to believe, and we're glad you're here. And where is here? Here is, well, sort of, Sugarland, Texas, so grab a globe, spin it around, bang, not sure where you ended up, spin it around, find Texas. Southeast side of Texas is Houston, southwest side of Houston is Sugarland, and that is where we are. You know, we're not pastors. We're just regular guys, each on our own spiritual journey, meeting daily challenges just like you. And that's why we're here. We're having a Christian discussion for men. And unlike others, we aren't taking any church answers. And so we're glad you've joined us. It's been called Deliberately Provocative, Unexpectedly Funny. So welcome, and we're glad that you've uh, joined us. And, you know, our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and at notechurchanswers.com. So please rate our podcast and leave a review. And, of course, it wouldn't be possible without your support. And at this time, I want to go ahead and uh, introduce what we have. I mean, just like the Jets and some of the other football teams, we we have some folks out that are injured, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the ones that are here, though, able to make the bell. He is a uh, former world-class policy writer, a current professional gambler, the show producer, Mr. Steve Titch. Hey, hello. Steve. hello. Mr. Hello. Steve. And he is a, he's out on location, but he is a corporate trainer and uh, kind of a group a theologian, we call him the professor, uh, from Dubuque, Iowa, uh, station chief, we, the professor, uh, Robert Koshu. Hi, Robert. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm enjoying cool weather, which is rather unusual. And and actually, really quick before we start, I'm going to apologize to my panel because I did mention I was going to do this. I had a very unique experience. I flew Monday. Monday's date was September the 11th. Landed well, in Chicago. A lot of people don't fly on the 11th. That's yeah, landed landing. in Chicago just in time yeah. to have the color guard for the, the honor guard that was at doing a ceremony at O'Hare Airport marched past me. So kind, wow. kind of an interesting moment. To, as much as I travel, I honestly had never traveled on that particular date before. And as I was boarding the plane, it actually dawned on me what day it was. And I was like, wow, okay. I apologize, Bill. <laughs> well, that makes Mike's intro a lot less upbeat. That's for sure. And he is out. <laughs> and, 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 now for uh, Mike. <laughs> and I just wanted to let you know that uh, Mike is, it's not elective surgery. When people talk about, uh, you know, eye lifts and stuff like that. I mean, in Mike's case, he actually needed it done. So uh, we miss you, Mike. And although uh, we expect you back, uh, we know you'll be, you'll at least look surprised to see us, whether you <laughs> actually are or not. I don't know. So, hey, and with that, uh, my name is Bill Cox, and uh, we are in the study of uh, Simply Jesus a new vision of who he was, what he did, and why he matters. And that's by N.T. Wright, published by Harper One, available from, you know, Amazon or wherever you get your uh, favorite books. Uh, and so, and with that, I want to go ahead and uh, jump right in and start with the professor. So we're, we're going to start looking now at some different pieces of N.T. Wright. And this is going to be one of the more intriguing sessions because Jesus often taught in, par taught in parables. And Dr. Wright has a very unique perspective on the parables and how he approaches them compared to what a lot of people and how a lot of people want to approach them. So th this, this is going to get interesting as we get started. 
excellent uh, Steve Titch. Yes. Uh, he, of course, he's going to tie this to the theme of the book, which is that Jesus inaugurated a, a God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, we, we think of the parables as nice stories, and we all have our favorites. We've all heard them preached on. Uh, we're going to come in maybe a, a side door here, uh, because to write what the parables did, first and foremost, is that as part of a, they were part of this proclamation of a new kingdom. And Jesus used these stories, uh, which Miriam Rebster defines as short, fictitious stories that illustrate a moral attitude or religious principle. He used these stories to show us what, what things look like when God is in charge, that the kingdom is here. It's, it's not coming. It's here. He's proclaiming it, that deliverance is at hand, but it's not going to look like the what you thought. And finally... And 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 here's where it gets a little dicey. The parables tell us who's going to be in, who's going to be out, and with kind of an attitude of, don't be surprised if you've read your scripture. So, uh, Bill, back to you. Oh, and with that, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, the readings. The first one's going to be uh, there's two of them. Uh, the first one is Psalms 118, and then I'm going to jump over to Luke. So uh, Psalms 118, and this is 15 through 24. Sounds of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. And now Luke 20, 9 through 19. Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and away, went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, though they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyards do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. 
but they were afraid of the people. I'm going to, I'm going to help. I'm going to do this one in honor of Mike, man, Jesus loves to tweak the Pharisees because, <laughs> because this story tweaked them to the hilt. <laughs> I mean, this was one, everybody else is kind of walking around going, well, I don't know what he means about that. Oh, that's confusing. Oh, Jesus, I understand the Pharisees got it. They realized they were the evil people killing the servants. <laughs> And so, I mean, it was just, he, he, he had, he had no mercy on them at all with this. At, but, I mean, it was just, he laid it out. Go ahead, Steve. Then, but then, I mean, what, what, you know, he didn't just make them, you know, the bad guys in this parable. He goes on to link the, 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 he goes on to link it with the song we just read which is certainly yeah. a song, but the, the prophetic aspect of it um, as he said, yeah, well in this story, the, the fellow they threw out. Yeah. That's the cornerstone. That's the, that's the core. That's the stone. The builders reject that becomes the cornerstone from, from the Psalms, which they knew very well. In fact, maybe many of the people there probably knew that very well as uh, also not uh, they, they knew their, they knew their scripture. They knew their Psalms. These were all songs of their, of their religion. And so there he is accusing, basically saying you Pharisees, uh, you're not, he's, he's turned this entire Psalm on its ear. And, and this is kind of just exemplary of, of some of the parables here. Because this is what Jesus did. I, I was trying to think of some uh, modern day equivalents, and the best I could think of was American Westerns. And what happens? Yes. And, and ironically, there's a book out now called Jesus and John Wayne, um, which somehow, which, which we may yet do on this podcast, but we'll we're going to do Jesus but, and John but, Wayne at but some it, point. <laughs> it, it, it's the, the, again, the irony is is that modern, you know, these modern evangelical Christians have embraced this John Wayne mythos, but. And I'm a big film fan. The best John Wayne films were directed by John Ford, and they took that image, that 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 persona that Wayne had developed through the 30s and 40s in the 50s, started putting him in films that made a comment on that image. A, a film like it, it, actually the, the book that should be written is Jesus and John Ford. Because a film like The yeah, Searchers, yeah. Searchers is a great example of the parable. There's John Wayne marching across the screen, you know, ex-Confederate. Oh, what a great hero. And as the film goes on, we realize he's a bigot. He hates Indians. He hates Indians. His, and and the, he's still somewhat of a hero. He's going to go search for the family that is, was carried away by the, by the Indians. But, you know, years passed. And the whole crux of the drama is... If he discovers his niece is living among the Indians, is he going to rescue her or kill her? And you don't know what he's going to do. And that's where the power comes from, because he's supposed to be the hero. There's not supposed to be any question. And suddenly you're asking as an audience, is this great American icon on the right side? or the wrong side. And, mm -hmm. and that's what that's what these parables were doing. They were taking very familiar tropes, agricultural tropes, especially there's, you know, we here in this, we had, we had the, the vineyard, but where's, there's so many parables about seeds being sown. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, there, there's gardens, there's all these, all these things. And they hearken also back, not only the experience that the people have at Jesus time, but to the whole culture that goes back to the you know the exodus the the founding of their their nation it's an agricultural people so all of this is is resonating incredibly and when when you know the the tenants turn out to be the bad guys that's that is that is subversive well, no, they're, uh, they're expect. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. When, and when I when I read this, uh, it's uh, you know how normally you, <clears throat> you try to see something that is win win. To me, this particular story is no win, no win, uh, <clears throat> and it just reminds me of tenant farming. Um, you know, 
a lot of people think, well, the landowner is rich and whatever. Well, landowner may be far away doing something else, and that's why they never come back. And I've seen situations that are fairly similar to this. The people that are on that particular piece of property, they're building a life. <clears throat> they're building memories and they're tenant farmers, so they're either splitting the crop with the owner who may be absentee or, or whatever, or they're selling it and they're paying a, a rent, uh, that kind of thing. But they have established a life there on that property. <clears throat> that property is a, a, a part of a person's portfolio. And I know of one particular instance uh, whereas the people were farming the heck out of it because they wanted to make sure they got as much money from the property as they could. However, the absentee farmer was more interested in its long-term profitability and wanted him to relax it a little bit. And that was kind of the, the conflict on that. I mean, it's, it's the selfishness of each individual. But you're, uh, and, you're pointing, actually, you've got, you're, you're, you're encapsulating actually what the understanding of that, that parable is. In this parable, it's clear the tenants forget who owns the land. They're doing, <clears throat> they're, they're deciding, oh, this is our game. And that is the warning, I think, that is coming from this parable. That no, and whether you and, and actually, I like your I like your viewpoint, Bill, because you're really sympathizing with the tenants. You're making them sound, hey, hey, who's doing all the work? Nice little, nice little socialistic idea. The labor, the value of this land yeah. comes from the labor we put into it. Yeah. But the the right. fact is, is, and that's what, and and we take that back to this proclamation, and that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees: Hey, you don't own this show. That, don't, don't even ab think absolutely <laughs> and, and the thing about it is the show is not about what is here this year the show is not about that it's something mm -hmm. much greater it's the long term mm -hmm. and although and although it may go against your own selfish interests the owner uh calls the shots and you might disobey but the shots are the shots. You well, know? And, and I, I was going to say, Bill, in your example, if the tenant farmers continue to do that year after year after year after year, they kill the soil and the tenant farmer goes, no oh, question. can't, can't, can't farm. Guess I'll go get another plot of land. In the meantime, now the owner is left with nothing because they've destroyed right. the value of the land. And, and I think that that really fits into our, into our discussion because in essence what what hap what's happened here is the the tenants who have been given temporary custody of the land in this case it's the pharisees the religious leaders in jerusalem they give they've been given temporary custody of the kingdom of god much as we have and instead of treating it right they've gotten wrapped up in everything else they didn't need to be wrapped up in and they're putting all other kinds of pieces on it. And remember that they were in charge because the Romans let them be in charge because the Romans, they, they didn't want to fund a bureaucracy to keep the peace. They wanted to basically figure out who the elites were, pay them off and let them run the country. And in, in Jerusalem, that group just happened to be the Pharisees. And so they're they're basically put in power by a secular government and they're they're all broadcasting how much I had to look how much I had to do to keep this for us, you know, and they're too busy prating their own thing. And at, here comes Jesus telling them, uh, you got it all wrong. And and my feeling is at the end of the day, when you look at this one, the parable of the sower. And some others, I, th I think we're going to be really shocked at the end of the day to see who's in the kingdom, who's not in the kingdom, because oh, yeah. it turns out to be it turns out to be that th there's much more to this kingdom of God thing than just showing up on Sunday morning. That That's what I wanted to talk a little about. I mean, there, there, there are readings that are just because space it's, it's tough to do. But the parable of the sower and the rich man and the and the poor man named Lazarus, 
go go ahead, Bill. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, Robert. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I wanted you to jump in because that oh. was the we're we're yeah. kind of at the point where where mm-hmm. you know our our theory is that we show up on Sunday morning, we do what we're supposed to do, we check all of our quote unquote boxes. And as long as we're checking our boxes, we're good to go. And yeah, that's the that's the parable of the rich man and, yeah. and Lazarus and Lazarus in this story being the name of the beggar in the, right in the parable. And in that parable, the rich man goes by him every day that the Lazarus is outside his gates, starving, having the dogs lick his wounds. And of course, in this story, Lazarus, they both die. <laughs> That's kind of right at the very beginning. They both die. Um, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Father Abraham. And uh, the, the the rich man, however, goes to uh, goes to Hades or Sheol. He's he's goes he goes to a place of eternal suffering. Apparently, you know, it is kind of, he and and uh there's you know he he calls out to god and said please let lazarus dip his hand in the water and give me a drop to drink and and god jesus is cold he says no no you didn't you didn't do anything in his life did when did you do that for him um so so we and 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 on top of that you know he they throws in this great chasm that now exists and, and we can read this underworld as hell, or we can read it as some kind of eternal torment. But this guy is there forever, the rich man. And and Gotti definitely makes the connection that, hey, this is this is the this is the grand order of things in the kingdom. That yeah, going going to temple or synagogue every every week, uh, minding all the laws isn't gonna get you anywhere if you because it, that I, I think overall the problem with the rich man, aside from the fact that he was very un, unempathetic, but that was part of it. He thought himself so much better than Lazarus, the poor guy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. I think that that the rich man doesn't even get a name in this story. He thought himself. He thought basically that he had it made. What he found out at the end of the day is that Lazarus was 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 far higher up in the god's hierarchy and social strata than this rich guy was and i think the rich guy's sin more more so than than his his lack of charity um you have to ask that lack of charity that stemmed from his belief it stemmed Mm -hmm. from his pride his belief that uh that he was better and and i think the message of, of some of the this parable and and some of the others is Grace will be will be bestowed uh, very generously, but the only people who will miss it will be the people who don't think they need it. Yeah, well, and 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 I think that's where it ties back into the landowner parable, mm-hmm. because now we're talking about the parable of the tenants and the landowner, because now we're talking about a group who basically they were given the keys to the Ferrari in <laughs> in kind of a sense, mm-hmm. and then they went and locked it in that they were they were favorite 80s movie ferris bueller's days day off they were cameron's dad that had the 56 kit camaro that had 72 miles on it and parked it in the garage and never drove it mm-hmm. you know because they didn't want anybody to see it and were holding it all for themselves and doling out little tidbits to the people, provided the people dropped in on the market they were running in the place where the Gentiles were worshiping, you know, and bought the thing, the money changers, and bought the appropriate sacrifice from them so they could, you know, they're, they're running a scam in the marketplace, basically. I don't know if any of you have heard of the uh, saying, Jewish saying called <clears throat> sandals to sandals in three generations shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations yeah. That's and, <laughs> uh, and and the thing about it is uh, the same applies to landowners and stuff you have one that busts it and uh, by some way or another hook or crook honest hard work or whatever they become something but you know what Sometimes entitlement 
creeps in. It's typically by the third generation. And when entitlement comes in, that's when the enterprise itself cashes out. Generation four is at Sandals. Before we go, before we go to break, I do want to just bring up two two other two other parables because they because one looks at one's always preached on and and right really turns it on its ear is the is the parable of the sower which uh the the um the 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 seed some the famous some seed lands on fertile ground and takes root other seeds fall in the cracks other seeds fall just you know on in dirt and never take root and and it tends to be read and taught that well be the be the seed that falls on fertile ground but right kind of he doesn't quite out and say it he says basically the seeds don't choose where they land and and that Jesus in this parable is giving a picture of how the real world's going to work that there're going to be some people who embrace the word some that you know get intrigued by it get excited about it but fall away and some who never hear it at all and which is which is somewhat deterministic in its own way but nonetheless I think it's a different way of looking at it because he's saying there'll be people who join the kingdom because they've heard it. And there'll be people who just, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't hit. And, and also it, it seems because of the way the, the parable is written, that there's a degree of randomness at it. There's no, like the, 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 the Pharisees and the priests at the time all thought they were the ones on fertile soil. And I think this is this is the danger also part and parcel with the with the parable of the rich man. They all thought they were they were blessed by being stuck in the fruitful fertile soil and boy were they going to bloom when they heard the word. And I think the point of the parable is nope. Nope, you could be just as closed-minded and and uh the the and the, there'll be many others and that that begins to burst out of this in the mar in the parable of the banquet there will be others who up to this point have never heard of the god of the israelites who have never heard the god of the ten commandments yet in a couple of generations will be part of the kingdom and that 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 made a lot of pharisees mad that you know he suddenly you might be on the outs and simply because you don't quite understand what this messiahship is all about and it's not about a military conquest it's not obey it's not about obey, obeying every single rule to the letter that you sap the joy out of life it's about really just following the lord <laughs> Well, it, it, and I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna stump a future show in the chosen <laughs> season, season three at the end of it. Jesus, oh, don't is doing... tell me the end. I'm a... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, Steve is gonna take his head to off for uh, what? Okay, I kind of know what happens. So, I but, mean... but well, the one line is well, yeah. But there's a one line where one of the hearers of that looks at at a uh, Jewish Pharisee and says, "It's amazing. He was teaching us that the kingdom of God is for everybody." me included and he was a gentile obvious <laughs> gentile and the jewish rabbi is just aghast at that expression and that's really what that's that what was. that is yes exactly <laughs> and and by the way chosen shows are coming to, soon to a no church answers <laughs> podcast near you <laughs> bill <laughs> excellent and with that we're going to go ahead and take our first break this is no church answers we'll be right back Hey, pastors and church leaders, are you looking to create an exciting program that will attract, engage, and inspire men in your congregation? Book a live Man Up Spiritual Oasis podcast for your next men's ministry event. Called authentic, gritty, and unexpectedly funny, Man Up has been delighting podcast listeners since 2017. We're not pastors, just regular guys willing to talk about scripture and how we can apply it to our personal faith journeys. Man Up is a refreshing alternative to predictable motivational speakers, offering your audience a chance to connect with everyday Christian men who don't settle for routine Sunday school answers. Interested in learning more? Visit man-upspiritualoasis.com or contact Bill Cox at liveshow at manupmedia.org. And now, back to the fellows of Man Up. And welcome back. This is No Church Answers. 
Uh, at this time, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in with the second reading. This is Mark 10, 1 through 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So I think the first thing to note here is Jesus crosses the Jordan and goes basically over into the area of Galilee. And he does this very, very intentionally because he is in that puts him in Herod Antipas's land. So Herod is the Tetrarch. Herod the Great ruled all of Jerusalem. After Herod the Great died, the Romans basically carved it up among a couple of his sons, and they gave the central part where Jerusalem was to their procurators, which at the time of Jesus was Pontius Pilate. He'll figure later in this story. But Herod Antipas, he, he drew the ire not only of Jesus, but he drew the ire of Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, because Herod, he kind of looked at his at his wife and said, eh, I don't like you anymore. Get out. Oh, hey, my brother's wife. She's kind of hot. I'll marry her instead. <laughs> and John the Baptist had a little bit to say about that. And it quite literally cost John the Baptist his head. Jesus is now over there. And, and by the way, the Pharisees kept quiet about Herod Antipas's little dealings. They, they just kind of sat there. So John probably sent them over to see Jesus with the test questions just to see what Jesus was going to say. <laughs> so let, let, me, let me just set that one up. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say the, 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 I, the, there, the six hands that are here. All those fingers, I probably could count the number of times I've heard a pastor or a religious person or a Bible study say, so as, well, Jesus never, ever said anything political. He was <laughs> above that. And and I, they might be doing it now because of the tenor of our times that might be doing it simply to tamp down issues. But I, I refer you right to, to, to Mark 10, because this... This was a hot topic. Now, there, now again, you, this is one that was not a democracy, so you couldn't go out and talk about this in the public square. That essentially Herod Antipas, the king of the Jews, was flouting a key law in the Torah. And so, um, but John the Baptist did and got got thrown in jail and was putting so much pressure on Herod that actually it was his, his, it was her, his, the wife, the adulterous wife who engineered his, his beheading. But uh, what, uh, to, to, to make it more relevant for our times, 20, 30 years ago, you could have had a an academic discussion about what would constitute an armed rebellion against Congress and uh, you'd all be talking theoretically. Now, if I were to ask that question right now today, which I kind of, it's a loaded question. 
You know what I'm referring I mean, it, to. It is. It is you know totally exactly a loaded question. You know what I'm referring to, and, you want, and I want to goad you into think how, how, to hear about how you feel about it. This was exactly what was going on. You, you, and, you get – well, it, and, and the thing is, Jesus – Jesus did it in a way, and and what I think is interesting is John and Jesus took two very different approaches to it. John just flat out called it out, yelled it. Mm -hmm. John took the prophet Elijah running at him and screaming (laughs) and yelling. Jesus kind of took Daniel's route where he was going to do what he needed to do, but he was going to try to stay above the fray. And I think think Jesus did that at this point because – a of who he was and B because he was trying to make sure he stayed alive until it was his time. But he, and, he and I think, you know, he and, and, very and, well, but we oh, see, no, he does. And, see and a, he doesn't we, pull punches. That's the other part. Yeah, about it. We, we see, but we see a kind of a public version and the private version where he, the public mm-hmm. version and, and the integrity is there. He, he basically says, yes, that's the law. And because you hard-hearted people couldn't keep it, God wrote a little bit of an amendment in just to keep things tamped down. But he, yeah. he, he does not endorse it. And he goes on to he goes on to say about a man leaving that, that, that the order of things of God is that, you know, marriage is a is one the one flesh uh, that that it does. Going back to Genesis, it does symbolize the connection between God, God and his church. And then privately, it, we have this little bit where he, they, 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 they supposedly the, the, the disciples, his friends, ask him pretty much the same question. And Jesus answers, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. He is basically saying Herod is sinning. And that now now Wright juxtaposes that with what 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 there's the differences in kingship. We will, you know, Herod is not king of the Jews. He's flouting God's order. God's order is this, and this is what the kingdom will be. And now now, right, we, we should talk about this because right goes a little further and it's tough to find some of the biblical stuff for this, but that there's a transformational aspect that right. we won't need this edict. We won't need this this uh, certificate of divorce, this dispensation granted to account for your hard hearts. Our hard hearts will be softened and, and relationships, uh, marital and otherwise, will will be permanent and will be forever right and 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 i think it's one of this is one of those points where jesus is he he he's literally attacking he is attacking a political figure but he's attacking a political figure because that political figure is actually doing stupid stuff against god's law you know and and it's one of those i think that's where the church really falls down is we want to ignore politics and I will say it at this point, we want to ignore politics to a fault as long as we think we're going to get something out of it in the end, when in reality, we, we should be calling out no matter which side or whose side or what side that, hey, look, that's wrong. I might vote for you because you're going to give me the best options I've got from a Christian or faith perspective or what I believe the country needs perspective. But for me to wholeheartedly endorse you is just plain stupid. <laughs> But but that, that could know. be an attitude. Certainly, the Pharisees probably had it. I mean, it's oh, it's, it's, a, it's a monarchy, so so there's really no democratic say. But when you say, well, okay, Herod Antipas, they've given they've given a, our our Jewish leader some modicum of control. Now he's a quasi puppet, but he does have power. There's no question he has power. Oh yeah. Um, and so they could say, ah, uh, you know, the the Romans aren't that bad. You know, as you were saying at the beginning, the Pharisees yeah. and the priests are trying to maintain this, you know, razor's edge order. So they could point up there. Well, Herod's one of us, you know, and he's he's got a he's got a direct line to 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 at least to to to, you know, to the to the coast, if not Rome. And so they're not going to. We don't want to. They're, rock they're the boat. not going to rock the boat. And and and. <laughs> 
and, and I want and, you to, I want Christians out there because I know to think about that. The, 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 the faithful, the people who think themselves the most faithful of God's people are supporting a blatant sinner as their ruler because it keeps them secure. They are what keeps them in the power. Secure, and well, it keeps them in yeah. power, but that's part of it. That keeps, we have, we have our security. Oh, oh, nothing's going to happen to us because, you know, he's one of us, but that's, that's idolatry. It's the idolatry yeah. of office. If not the, they're not, they're not making Herod an idol, but they're making his kingship a subject of idolatry. They're making, they're, they're, they're putting their faith in something other than God, which is really their, their the violation of their primary law. Excellent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. This is No Church Answers. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Bill Cox, director of Man Up, Spiritual Oasis for Men. We hope you enjoy our show as much as we enjoy doing it. But our ministry needs your support if we are to continue to bring our TV show, our podcast, our live shows to men seeking spiritual refreshment. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron of Man Up, Spiritual Oasis. Get more details at our page on patreon.com. If you would like to support us directly, you can make a contribution through PayPal at donate at manupmedia.org. All contributions are tax deductible. We're not pastors, just regular guys. So whether you're successful or struggling, we hope to bring you the good news of God's saving grace as we share our own spiritual journeys, please consider supporting Man Up and No Church Answers today. And welcome back. This is No Church Answers. <clears throat> I think one of the big differences, though, is that uh, Herod Antipas was trying to decide whether Jesus was the leader of the movement or someone that started a movement and there's a huge difference in that um if you're the leader and you're squashed well the movement typically dies but if you just started the movement and the movement goes on without you it honestly doesn't matter what happens to you and i think that's kind of the quandary that uh you know he was in well, two was in, but at that point with Jesus, he was setting up a kingdom. And it was just a different kingdom than everybody expected it to be. And and the funny part was the people that thought they were going to be in like Flint and be in charge were being excluded in this. And Jesus is just using these two stories to real or the story and then the confrontation about the when when he's tested, he's using both of those to tell people, look. It ain't happening where you think it's going to happen. And, he, okay. and literally the people you least expect are going to be the ones who get in at the end of the day. Excellent. Uh, Steve Titch. The, the, the other part that, that right kind of ends with is this aspect of transformation, um, which I think he's going to, he's going to work on more as he talks about the idea of the temple shifting uh, from a, an actual physical location, Jerusalem, uh, to human hearts. Jesus is here just describing, you know, what the, in, in, in semi-abstract ways, in, 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 analogous, in, in allegorical ways, how the kingdom of God is going to work. But, but it, creates an, it creates a picture of, 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 a, of a hierarchy completely different from what, what earth is. What, what earthly kingdoms are um and that uh transformation comes in the human heart he, we, we, we there, there's a section he deals with where the uh the pharisees call out jesus and jesus apostles because they're eating without doing the ritual cleaning cleansing uh which i you know obviously in that day and age you probably did want to wash your hands before you you, you do want to still want to do that today so i'm not saying for there there are definitely health reasons to do it but this was this was again elevated to a a religious ritual that you were somehow 
breaking God's law because you didn't didn't clean under your fingernails uh, before you ate the bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't, nothing, un, he almost says there's nothing unclean. There's nothing you can put into yourself that will defile you. He basically says all that defilement is what comes out of you. And it's part of your sinful nature. And, and it's, again, part of the idea that those, you know, the grace and forgiveness will be dispensed except to those who don't think they need it, which is sad because the way we know that there are people, there are people today, well, there's no such thing as sin. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not born, born bad. Man is born good. You hear that? I mean, man is born good. Um, ever see two you know, ever see two 10 year olds in a, in the schoolyard <laughs> and, and tell me, you know, without, but anyway, I digress, but that, that this transformation will occur um, because, uh, because the temple will move that, that, that place of where God and man will meet, will move into the hearts. And that, that's a key ingredient of, or a great key aspect of the kingdom to talk about. We will be transformed. We will not be forced to obey laws, we will be guided to follow the spirit. And when the law, you know, and, and, and the letter of the law will be a lot less important than the spirit of the law, which, which, you know, brings us to the Galatians, which, which Robert and I have talked about, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, it, it, it's, it, I think it, it, it begin, it's developed a little further there, the theology of that, but that, that we will not be you know, the law won't be about compulsion. It will be about what, you know, being being devoted to the spirit and where that where that leads us. Excellent, uh, Professor. Yeah, I, I think this is just we're at the point now of Wright's book and our walk through Wright's book where we're going to see Wright starting to use his thesis of simply Jesus to indicate, as Steve said, that transformation. And this is one of the places where he's starting at is he's starting for us to be transformed. We have to recognize really our own meager place in God's kingdom and what little bit we maintain and what little bit we're a part of. And as we maintain that first recognition, part of it is, is recognize we're not all that we think we are in God's eyes. We think, you know, because we're meeting the boxes and we're checking the boxes that we're doing everything we can, where the reality of it is, we're no better than the person next to us who hadn't shown up in church in five years. In particular, if, if we are not really following and having that one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And that's really what we're super called to do and really be a part of is to have that relationship. And unless we have that, we're not going to transform and we're going to be no better than the tenants. And that's the real danger for Christians, especially Christians in America. And we've seen that. And that really, the book Jesus and John Wayne really alludes to this, that that's the danger of, of American Christianity as it's been structured and set forth, is that it has this tendency where it can become locked in and you miss out because you think you're a Christian. Excellent. Uh, get a couple of takeaways from the fellas, uh, Mr. Steve Titch. Exactly. Uh, the, que yeah, the question is, is these are not just simple stories uh, that, that are designed to make us feel good. They really are. They really are powerful, powerful parables. And um, my suggestion would be to look at, try to look at them from a, from a first century lens. That's difficult or try to, Try to empty yourself of your past imagery, even some past teachings, some of which might be good, but look at these and, and think of them in the context of what Jesus is doing is proclaiming a new order of things and doing his best to illustrate how that will work. Again, um, you know, what are the rules? Who's where? Who's in? Who's out? How do I, as, how do I become a citizen of this kingdom? Excellent uh, takeaway from you, uh, Professor. We're called to really read these parables and put ourselves in them 
and figure out where we lie in the story. Because when we do that, it enables us to interact with the scripture. And it enables us to be a part of God's word. And it lets us understand what God is trying to tell us in the story. And I think that's, that's really the key part of all the parables is figure out where we are. And honestly, it's almost, it's your spoke of the wheel, spoke in the wheel, Bill. At different times in our life, we can be different people in each of the parables as we read them. And with that, thanks so much for tuning in. This is No Church Answers. Once again, on behalf of uh, all of our sponsors and supporters, want to thank you so much. Uh, on behalf of uh, Mr. Steve Titch, our producer, Michael Cropper, who is out this week, uh, Professor Koshu, who is on location in Iowa. My name is Bill Cox. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate it and leave a review. If you have any questions or comments, you can go to our Facebook page or knowchurchanswers.com and post it there. If you're unable to attend a church, check out Chickaland Baptist Church streaming service. It's on Facebook, YouTube, chickalandbaptist.org. Starts Sundays at 9.45 a.m. And when you are ready, we encourage each and every one of you to join a local Bible-based church. Why local? So you'll go and participate and find a small group, ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, or a Sunday school class that you can join for the small group discussions just like this. And find one that is men only. And if there isn't one, start one. And take no church answers. You've been listening to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. Tell us what you think. Leave a comment or review. Want to know more about us? Then visit nochurchanswers.com and our Facebook page. Check out our video series on our YouTube channel. You can also become a patron of No Church Answers by visiting our Patreon page. No Church Answers is a production of Man Up Spiritual Oasis Media, which is solely responsible for its content.